0: welcome i'm glad you're here this is going to be a very eye-opening interview with my guest today bruce schneier bruce schneier is a security technologist and author and teaches at the harvard kennedy school bruce welcome to the show Uh, thanks for having me hey i'm excited to have you here uh first of all uh, a quick shout out uh your latest book, A Hacker's Mind, How the Rich and Powerful Bend Society's Rules and How to Bend Them Back. Uh, So far, I love this book. I'm about halfway through, uh, and uh, I I can't wait to dive in a little bit deeper. But first, I wanted to ask you this. Is TSA a huge waste of money or what?
1: You know, it's not, actually. And and it's really interesting that in some ways what they're doing doesn't make sense and in some ways they're doing makes a lot of sense. So, so let's sort of do them both. You know, On the one hand, if uh, we secure the airports, the terrorists go bomb shopping malls instead, like we haven't, we've wasted our time, right? We were forcing them to change their tactics and target, so what, right? On the other hand, airplanes kind of have a special place. In terrorism for for a bunch of reasons. Uh, One is that a small bomb kills everybody. Right? You blow up a shopping mall and some people die, some people are injured, some people are bruised, some people get away. You put the same bomb on an airplane, it crashes, and everybody dies. Right. So that failure mode makes it a more attractive target. Uh, airlines are traditional terrorist targets for whatever historical reasons. So they're things terrorists gravitate to. And they're often national symbols mm. Air France, British Air, El Al, Singapore Air, American Airlines, right? I mean, they say the name of the country, which makes them also a good uh, sort of terrorist target for that value. So, all that being said, we actually need to secure airplanes more than shopping malls or trains or restaurants or any of the other dozens of things that you could consider bombing if you were a terrorist. Now the question is, how do you go about doing it? And right. then we can get into the noise. I think some things TSA does is good, some is less good, but you know that is in the noise. I definitely want a government agency doing this and not the airlines, right? Airlines have too much conflict of interest here. You know, and when airlines did air, airplane security, they did a much worse job than when TSA does it. So I do want a government bureaucracy in charge of this, and I want it to be sensible. I mean, you know, it, if a TSA agent finds a gun in your luggage, they're going to call the FBI. And at best, your day is ruined. Right. If they find a bottle of liquid in your luggage, they throw it away and let you through. Right. So is that liquid dangerous or not? With a gun, even if they have, I'm going to make this up, the 70% chance of catching it. They're really lousy at it it's risky for me to try because they'll probably catch me and it spoils the plot. If right. my plot involves liquids, right, I just keep trying. If I try a thousand times and I get it once, I'm golden. Right. right. So there's a lot in the details I don't like about the TSA, but in general, they are security that we need
0: in the 21st century. All right. So one of the things I heard is this term security theater. And you know where
1: that term I, came from?
0: From you? Yeah. I invented that term. I know. <laughs> it's, it's like it's my contribution to pop culture. I love it. I love it. And and what's so interesting to me is, first of all, never thought about it. But when I when I have traveled outside of the United States, the theater is ramped up, meaning you will see people walking around with total tactical gear on. They're, they're carrying their rifles. They look like they could hurt you immediately, as opposed to TSA. Uh, and no offense to the good people at TSA, most of these guys look so unfit that they could not chase you down if they had to. But that's not their job. No, it's not. And they are not
1: law enforcement officers. They're not police officers. Their job is to screen people and bags. If you run through airport security at a full tilt, they're not going to chase you. They're going to shut down the airport. Oh, that's true. And that's what's going to happen. Now, when you go through the airports of Europe and you see the soldiers with rifles, with pistols, with machine guns, that's because there have been commando-style raids on airports in past decades. Those people are serious. Yeah. You go through airport security in Israel, it's way different than the United States because they are super serious. Right. Right? They tell you, bring your luggage the night before. That'll let us screen it in peace and not waste your time. You know it's, it's but and the uh tel aviv airport is like as busy as newark right you know they're at a different scale than the united states so they can do things differently yeah. but yeah i mean a tsa agent is not going to apprehend a terrorist that's not their job
0: gotcha gotcha all right so so i i haven't i, I did some research could not find the answer maybe you know the answer However, and I think this is on your website as well that, uh, in fact, it is on your website that I think back in 2015 or 16 or maybe 2019, the TSA had a failure rate of 95%. They, they, they were missing real targets. I mean, they were, th- these were fake handguns and, and whatever, but, uh, they were failing 95% of the time. Yeah,
1: it wasn't that bad. I don't remember the numbers, but it wasn't 19 out of 20 weapons go through. Gotcha. right? I mean, that doesn't, makes no sense. Their failure rate is relatively high, but remember what I said. Even a, a 20% failure rate, which is miserable, kind of means you can't have a plot that involves a gun. You're likely not to get through. You're not going to try it. Right? So depending on the ramifications, the repercussions if you get caught. I mean, this is the way, well, I don't know, customs works. They don't search your luggage very often, but if they do and find something, it's gonna be really unpleasant, so you don't try it. This is the way the IRS is supposed to work, right? You know, We don't audit everybody, but if we audit you and find something, we make your life really unpleasant. They don't do that, so it's, so it's actually not very good enforcement, but that's the, that's the point of random selective enforcement gotcha. that you make the penalty so high that it's not worth trying
0: right right
1: all so, right so you know i'm okay with a you know a moderately high failure rate for guns
0: yeah
1: it's the liquids that makes no sense
0: right the, the liquids and um <laughs> and some of the other stuff that they do uh, and, and and it's the inconsistency right because uh, one of the things that really kind of uh, floored me was there is a company called Clear, and they they have the ability, and I'm sure you're familiar with this company. at At the uh, security point, as you're going through, there are salespeople there who will, you know, hey, if you want to avoid this big long line, come over here to Clear. It's whatever it is, 200 bucks a year. They can fingerprint scan you right there verify your identity and give you a membership and now you're you're in some cases ahead of TSA pre-check and i'm thinking if a third if if a third party can do this why can't our government do this why can't tsa or homeland just set this up you know the government could they
1: choose not to remember we live in a country where governments is underfunded where you know, actually, both Republicans and Democrats tend to want corporate America to do the thing and government not, which I think is wrong. I mean, I think I think you're right; government should do that. My main complaint with clear with pre-check, although I, I have all of those things and love them because I get through the airport security faster, is it makes two lines: the lines for those who are have and the lines for the have-nots. And you know, if nobody it, who's a, who's in power, if no Congressperson ever has to wait in a long Security line, and then take off their shoes and pull their laptops, all the things that pre check and clear people don't do, it'll never get better, right? Because they never experience the indignation. So I really want there to be one line, even though I personally benefit, right, from all of those skip the line if you're a frequent flyer, if you pay money, all of those things, because I fly a lot, right? But I don't think it's good for society. Sort of in the same way, you don't you want everybody at the amusement park to have to wait in the long line. Now, Disney yeah. now has you know, you pay more money, you can cut the line. I don't like that, right? yeah. That's not fair, but right? I want everybody to be in the same boat.
0: Yeah, I, I and and I agree with you. And again, just to be transparent, I'm just like you. I I pay for my pre-check, and uh, I think pre-check now has stepped up their game a little bit. I believe they're available. At some airports, I believe they're available at the LAX airport, and they're starting to be available at some retail outlets. I I can't remember which, but uh, yeah. You mean clear, not pre-check? No, no. TSA pre-check. Oh, I see. So to sign up. Yeah, the sign up. You can go to.
1: Almost all airports, you can sign up at at pretty much any airports.
0: Yeah. So so they're stepping up their game a little bit. Uh, And then to the other side, yes, you're right. They are underfunded, but. Because we're talking politics, uh, you know, somebody up the food chain said, "Hey, yeah, we're going to let PreCheck do this thing, and I'm sure that our government gets a fee for that." I, and I and I don't have a problem with that, but it is a little annoying. It, it is a little annoying. Um, th- this this idea that uh, TSA, <clears throat> excuse me, is is like you said, they're not really so much uh, to, uh, what do you call it, stops. Uh, I guess they are there to stop somebody. They're going to screen the bags. They're going to call security or FBI or whoever they're going to call. And, 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 but but I think that before I got a hold of your materials, I thought TSA was completely different. Now I understand that TSA is just, you know, it's, 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 it's a little bit more show than I thought it was. And, and, and I just find that concept so interesting, but it works. I mean, it's it's no different than when your parents set that boundary, right? And sometimes they let you push that boundary and sometimes they don't. And anyway, it's, you know, it's the TSA is supposed to be
1: less arbitrary than, than our parents were, but, but indeed.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So let me ask you this. How did you get started in this field? So which field is this field? I have a complicated history. Which origin story do you want? Well, it, uh, the, 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 it, I guess the, the origin story. How did you get into, I guess, the security field uh, specifically because, uh, you, you know, as I introduced you, you're a security technologist. What's right. right. I'm super
1: general. And, and, and I think that's the key. My life has been a series of generalizations. I started out writing about cryptography, the mathematics of securities, my book in 1993. And then I write about security of computers and then networks and then general security technology. Then I start writing about the uh, psychology of security, the economics of security, the sociology of security. I have a book on trust. Then I'm writing more about the political science of security. My book on uh, uh, Data Goliath about uh, surveillance and eavesdropping, Click Care to Kill Everybody, which is about the Internet of Things and safety. Now my, my latest book is about hacking in general, hacking broader social systems. So that'd be the book you're reading. So it, it is sort of me becoming more and more general, trying to figure out context. Uh, that is always the way I think. And along the way, I've, you know, I've had companies, I now you know, teach at the Harvard Kennedy School where I'm teaching really public policy students about internet security and cybersecurity. And, you know, I guess that's that's my origin my oh, origin is it. mathematics, which is pretty scary and boring, yeah. but exciting and sure. yet boring.
0: Uh, you know, and it's so funny, too. Uh, I think that one of the issues that we have as humans. Is and this happened to me this morning, and I just thought it was so it was just a perfect timing thing where one of my one of the websites that I use, um, uh, I had forgotten my password, the password that I was, uh, you know, 100% sure was the password was not the password. and It's okay, no big deal, I'll hit the reset button. I think uh, it denied my different passwords that I used four different times. It kept saying your password's too weak, try again. Yeah, I know. Two week try again. Uh. And they want you to they they have a suggested uh password. Now my 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 passwords are typically 12 to 15 characters long, but and I can't remember how many characters this was, but it was a very it's a huge amount of characters, multiple symbols, something I'm not going to remember. But what was interesting to me was my own laziness when you you know, it, back to what you said about boredom here we are security is an important thing we take it for granted here me and here i was i was getting frustrated because here's this application saying hey we want your security uh we want you to take your security serious and we want you to upgrade your password i'm like no i want to use the passwords i've used before that i have memorized i think they work pretty good but I think that's part of the flaw in security is that we, after a while, take it for granted. We, we don't want to change our passwords every few months like we're supposed to. We don't want to do all the things to keep ourselves secure. We kind of lull ourselves into a false sense of security. So that's true. But let me give
1: you a couple of bits of this practical advice in this whole thing. One, use a password manager. Stop remembering your passwords. Get a password manager. Remember one password. Put them all in there. Any password you can remember isn't any good, period, right? So you remember one really secure password. There are tricks for that. But then, you know, 16 random characters, just put it in your password manager. Never remember it again. So advice one. Advice two, we don't need to change our passwords every three months. That is old advice. That is bad advice. Okay. Some sites still make you do it. They are wrong. So don't change your password unless you feel it has been compromised and then change it immediately. So those are two pieces of practical advice. Uh, in general, I think you're right. Uh, I really dislike password generation rules because they seem arbitrary and they're inconsistent. This one wants a, a number. This one wants a special character. This one says the number can't be in the beginning. This right. one says it can't be at the end, right? You know, I, I can create secure passwords and sometimes they get blocked because they don't fit whatever the hell their rules are. And I'm stuck with a password that is not in my system, and it doesn't actually – and things go all bad. So I agree with you on rules. I also agree with you on uh, security fades in the background, but good security does. The security that's best is the security you don't notice and lets you go back to your business, do what you want, and magically keeps you safe. Now, that's really hard. right? If you were the president, the Secret Service would do that for you. Right. They'd be like invisible in the background, making sure everybody around you is safe. And you can just blithely walk around, not even knowing because you got 30 people who are keeping you safe. But we don't have that. Right. right. So security is annoying. Right. Security means when I come to my house, I've got to pull a key out of my pocket, stick it in a lock and turn. Right. You know, why do I have to do that? That's annoying. Why can't it just work? Well, it can't. Right. And whether it's passwords or biometrics or physical keys or credit card swipes and smart cards, right? these are all things that, in a sense, get in the way and provide security. But, yeah, I mean, usability says we should make them fade into the background. But sometimes I don't want them to. Right. right? I want you to know when you're dealing with an honest merchant. Or a fraudulent yes. one, right? I want you to know when someone breaks the window of your house. They, we Sometimes we want security to be visible and audible.
0: Yes. It's true. I mean, look, th- there have been crimes, uh, abductions, murders that would not have been caught, but for the fact that we have this prolification, prolification of cameras everywhere now. Yeah, I mean less than you think. I mean, cameras
1: are not as effective as the camera people want you to believe okay. in, in in crime solving. I mean, they're a very good tool for social control, which is why you see them in, you know, China, in Hungary, in Turkey, right? Countries that really want social control. In the US, you see them for law enforcement, and they are less effective than I mean, they sound effective, right? There's a camera, of course, I was committed a crime. Turns out it doesn't work that way. Right. And if you see, I don't know when you're going to air this, but like the other day, there was a big smash and grab crime in San Francisco. And there's a there's a video of it. Right. You can watch these people going through the store, grabbing, I assume, $10,000 handbags and 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 leaving the store with them. Is that camera going to convict anybody? I doubt it.
0: Right. However, you look at January 6th, cameras helped. Cameras helped. What
1: really helped, oddly enough, was cell phones. Sure. Not the cameras, but everybody carried a cell phone. Posted it online. Uh, the police got a warrant for all of that data of who was around the Capitol, who was around the White House, you know, who who's on the White House lawn, who was, who was like, at the Capitol, who was inside. You know, people carrying cell phones in their own names. Right. And were able to identify people that way. So cameras were useful. Cell phone data was more valuable.
0: Sure, sure. And again, people... Posted it online. Here all I right. am. And, and people weren't even hiding it. that. Also, all, right. Also that. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about your latest book, A Hacker's Mind, How the Rich and Powerful Bend Society's Rules and How to Bend Them Back. Uh, you know, that title caught me a little bit because I do like to bend society's rules a little bit. Oh, I do, moment. too. I mean,
1: all, okay. all the fun people do. Let's okay. Let's sort of
0: let's lay that out there. <laughs> so hold up your book let's take a look at it because I got the digital audio all right written. yeah so, so, so you missed the pretty cover I missed that pretty cover but there it right. is right I mean the
1: cover looks good across the room at a bookstore which we like there you go. and you know, so what I'm on and Amazon I'm and, and I'll put a link here but so okay. so uh what was the catalyst
0: behind writing this book
1: you know again this is me being a generalist and I'm looking at the term hacking Which is getting the computer to do what you want, breaking into computer systems, finding vulnerabilities in software, and I'm extending that metaphor to social systems, to political systems, to economic systems, to all sorts of systems. So uh, a good example is the tax code. Right, it's not computer code, but it's code. It's a series of algorithms as inputs and outputs, and those algorithms have bugs. They have mistakes, and there are vulnerabilities. We call them tax loopholes, and there are exploits based on those vulnerabilities. We call them tax avoidance strategies. And there are black hat hackers. We call them accountants, we call them attorneys, whose job it is to find and exploit those vulnerabilities. And the parallel is really very tight, A hack is something the system permits, but is unintended and undesired by the system designers. Remember, tax loopholes are not illegal. They're legal, right? They're mistakes. There, there are things that the designers of the code, the law, forgot or didn't notice or situations changed, just like software. Right? And there are ways that people can exploit them. And there are hacks in all sorts of systems. And, and the most fun part of the book is writing about different systems. I write about hacks in sports and casino games, in religious laws, in economic systems and regulations of all kinds. In politics, right? The filibuster is a hack invented in ancient Rome. I think it's Cato the Elder, was his name. And he looks at the rules and say, the rules say basically all business has to be included by sundown. That's the rules. And he looks around and says, you know, if I never stop talking, we'll get to sundown and nothing will happen. I win. And he realized that. Now, the person who wrote the rule, all business. Doctor by Sundown just wanted to go home for dinner. Right. Right, right. He did not expect the rule to be abused in that way. And yeah. it's there are rules in sports, mileage runs and frequent flyer programs, all sorts of examples with that the rule allows it, but it's a trick. It's something
0: that nobody expected. And maybe it's good and maybe it's bad. Right. Well, one of my favorite things that you point out in the book, and this is true, I have five children, that kids are great hackers. And they'll figure out a way to hack communication. You mentioned uh, Disney's Penguin thing that they eventually shut down because um, it got hacked. I mean, there there were predators interacting with kids. And then I think you mentioned another time where kids were... uh, uh, they, they, there are certain things that they could not put in. I don't know if it was the same penguin program, but there are certain communications that weren't allowed and they figured out a way around it by, by using pictures or whatever. But I love the fact that, yeah, some of the best hackers in the world are kids. Yeah. And that's because
1: they don't really fully understand the rules, right? right? I mean, they don't know the box because they just don't have conception of, of some sort of the same things that you and I do as adults. Uh, my favorite examples that I collect are the ways kids hacked Zoom during the pandemic. So I have a story. I don't know if I made it to the book. But there's one kid who would change his screen name to connecting dot, dot, dot and turn his camera off. Now, that's brilliant. It's <laughs> someone else. And, and what she would do is she would log in with a bad password. I don't know if this was Zoom or another system. She would log in with the wrong password enough times, the system would lock her out. Then she would call her mom and say, I can't get in. The system locked me out. And it took the mom like a week to figure out that the kid was doing this on purpose. So yes, the pandemic brought out the hacker in a lot of kids.
0: (laughs) I just think that's brilliant. Connecting dot, dot, dot. Yeah, but you want to give this kid a job.
1: Right. right. And, and, and so and, and this is a tension, right? How do we nurture that spirit without turning them criminal? Right. How do we nurture that hacking spirit? In a way that isn't I break the rules, but I'm creative about the rules. Right. There, sure. There's there's a benefit here, but there's also a dark side. And I, and I try to explore that. Right. Right. Hacks walk this line. Right. Between something you shouldn't do, and something you should do. Right. And we want that kid to thrive,
0: but not to become a career criminal.
1: Right. <laughs> That's, that would be too much.
0: <laughs> and, and you know, speaking of Zoom, uh, again, on your website, uh, you, uh, there's an article out there about Zoom can spy on your calls, uh, use your conversations to train AI, but they're saying – they're not gonna do that. What's your take on this? Do you, do you believe them at all?
1: Yeah, so this is, I think this is a problem right now with society that we rely on the benevolence of for-profit corporations who are not benevolent. So the story is a couple of weeks old that uh, Zoom changed the terms of service and they didn't tell anybody. They just did it because, as companies do. And the terms of service say that like, we can use the, your conversations You can use your data to train an AI, right? So this conversation happening on a Zoom, Zoom can, according to the service, use it to train their AI to do whatever they want. Uh, Someone saw that. It It made the press. People freaked, like, what the hell? And Zoom said, no, 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 sorry, sorry. We didn't mean that. We promise. We will never do that. Now, maybe they're being honest. Today, they probably are. They're probably not doing it. It could change at any time but the real question is why do we rely on zoom's benevolence here right why aren't there rules why isn't there a law why isn't there some regulation about whether or not zoom is allowed to train its ais on our conversations now i had a conversation with someone from amazon about a month ago who said that amazon has an enormous database of transcribed customer service conversations that it's using to train an AI in customer service. I I mean, I'm sure the rules say they're allowed to do that, but is that okay? Like, do we expect that? Do we want that? So what's missing here in a lot of areas of of tech are some government rules of the road, right? Because corporations will do whatever they can to maximize their profits. That's their job. Sure. If we want to put them in a constrained box, we need to actually do that. And government society is sort of how we do that, because the market will never do that.
0: Right, right. And and, and to your point, uh, I think we have a lot of historical data that uh, big corporations do two things. They connect with politicians because it's smart for them to do so, and they will break, bend, bruise, batter. The laws until you get caught. That's it. And this is this
1: is what I call hacking. Right. And it's Uber hacking the laws for common carriage that allows them to basically replace taxis without all the taxi regulations or Airbnb doing the same thing. That yes, and and, and they do. There is this pipeline that takes profits and convert them into lobbying dollars to create policy for more profits.
0: Yes.
1: And that pipeline has been. I don't know if perfected is the right word yet, but has been optimized to a degree that we have not seen before. And this is the reason that tech monopolies are much more dangerous now than monopolies were in the past.
0: Yeah, this ability
1: to turn profits into policy, into profits, into policy, to profits.
0: Absolutely. All right. So you mentioned AI. I see AI definitely, uh, you know, creeping into security. I, and, and I can see that's, uh, you know, because everybody's, oh, let's AI this, let's AI that. And, and what's your thought on AI and security? So I think it's going to be
1: interesting. I mean, AI, security is always an arms race, attacker versus defender. And the real question that you wanted to ask is, will AI benefit the attacker or defender more? Like, How will it affect the arms race? The, the real answer is we don't know that these stuff tends to be emergent and we're, we're going to find out. My guess is that in the near term, AI uh, helps the defense more because already you're being attacked at computer speeds. Defending computer speeds is, a, is an enormous advantage, but that's near term. We will see what happens long term. Certainly, it will change everything. I think AI is going to change a lot of things. I mean, you don't want to know this, but I was interviewed about a month ago, two months ago, and uh, the interviewer put, uh, asked. ChatGPT, some interview questions for me. And they were like the best questions I've ever got. So you as a podcast interviewer, I'm going to tell you your days are numbered because those large language models are coming up fast and they're coming up with great questions. Like one of the questions was, if you were an action figure, what would your accessories be and what would your catchphrase be? I've never gotten that question before. I had to think about it. It right. is rare that I get questions I have to stop and say, Whoa,
0: that's a question. Uh, you know what? That's a that's a great question to ask. I, to I, any, you, can, to anybody you can ask it. Don't ask I, me, but you can ask anybody else. Right. <laughs> well, that's that's just a great question all the way around. Or it's, a we, it's certainly a weird question. It is. It is. Uh, you know, and one of the things in your book, again, uh, Hacker's Mind, uh, you, you point out uh, Peter Thiel, uh, how he bought a bunch of uh, PayPal stock, put it in his Roth IRA. Now that Roth IRA is worth a couple, two or three billion dollars. I remember, I think it was Elizabeth Warren who was saying it's just another rich person trying to, you know, uh, trying to get away with not paying taxes. Uh, first of all, we all want to do that. I mean, if, if you and I could go buy worth of stock, and then 20 years from now, have it be worth billions of dollars, sign me up. Right, but you wouldn't be you. I mean, this is the thing, right? Peter
1: Thiel was already a billionaire when he did that. So these hacks benefit the rich more. So if if you and I found a tax loophole, it's legit. We find a loophole. We're going to what? Make a few thousand dollars? We're not that wealthy. We can't do what Peter Thiel did. And probably if we get hold of the tax court, we're going to lose because how much of an attorney are we going to afford? You're already a billionaire. You find a tax loophole. You can, A, make billions of dollars, and B, you can afford the level of attorneys to make sure that thing stays legal, right? So it's not really the same. And and what he did is, is he bought shares of a company he founded. Using money that was already in his Roth IRA. Now, Roth IRA is IRA designed to help middle class taxpayers save some money for retirement. That's its purpose. That's the way it was written. But because he founded a company that became immensely successful, he was able to use that Roth IRA as a shield to protect like four and a half billion dollars from tax, which is in a sense nutty. It is not what was intended. Now it is legal. It is not illegal. That's the key of a hack. But it's an exploitation of the system. And I'd like a system that is flexible enough to say, hey, Peter, you know, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Give us our tax.
0: <laughs> All right. I, I, will, I will have to disagree with there. Uh, I, and you're right in the sense that, yes, I cannot. I don't have billions of do- I'm not a billionaire, so I don't have billions of dollars. I can't, I can't do the stuff that Peter Thiel uh, can do, uh, but I don't know. I, I thought it was brilliant. I, it was a good use, and, and I think one of the challenges hacks are clever I have, hacks. Hacks.
1: I mean, a good hack. You say, "Whoa, that was a clever idea." That was doesn't clever make idea. it moral. Doesn't
0: make it right. Right. But you go, "Whoa, that was a clever idea." Because one of the issues I have with the Roth IRA is that, as a average person, not a millionaire or billionaire, is that we're only allowed to put so much money into that account. So I I think that uh, depending on your age, it's 6,500 bucks a year, up to $7,500 a year, depending on your age. It can't be that little, but honestly, this is totally not a financial advice show. Right.
1: All you listeners like go Google (laughs) this. Don't listen to us.
0: (laughs) Yes. That's that's, that's a good point. But either way, I thought it was, I, I thought it was a brilliant hack. And to your point, that is the whole point of a good hack. Is you go, wow, right. that was cool. That was brilliant. I'm going to see if I can do some of that, um, or 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 I'm I'm going to make sure no one ever does that again. Right,
1: right. I mean, right. I mean you know, let's the nine eleven terrorists. That that was a hack. Yeah, using an airplane as a missile. I hadn't. Th- I never thought of that. I mean, it was horrific, but it was totally a hack of the system. Right. The entire airplane security before nine eleven was based on. 1970s terrorism. I'm going to hijack a plane and fly it to Cuba. Right. Not based on what happened on September 11th. Right. Right. They changed the nature of airplane terrorism. Right. What they did was clever. You don't have, it doesn't have to be good to be clever, right? It could be horrific and clever at the same time.
0: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you cannot uh you cannot in any way disagree with that it was clever they thought you know it was thought out i think they planned it a year or 18 months in advance they, they were methodical they took their time it was very clever very clever although uh, you would think they would have been caught i mean if you go to a
1: flying school and want to i, I want to learn how to fly a big airplane but i don't want to learn how to land you'd think that would be a red flag turns out it wasn't
0: well, and, and, and maybe they didn't, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they didn't say that, but bottom line is. That's what I, I
1: remember that one, at least yeah. one of them, like would take a flying lesson, did, didn't, didn't, didn't bother learning how to land.
0: Yeah. No, landing's not important. What? <laughs> That's right. What do you mean landing's not important? It's like the only important thing. <laughs> Taking off, landing, everything else is kind
1: of, everything else. Everything the else you want a pilot does, it's
0: right. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. All right. So, um. I guess my takeaway, and I want your feedback on this. I'm like halfway through your book. I've done. I've looked at some of your articles on your website, and security is completely temporary. It's it's there to give us a a false sense of security. Matter of fact, I think in your TED talk you talk about that security is a is a, is a component of two things. It's real and, and, and it makes us feel a certain way and, and part of it is real, right? Something like that. Yeah, it, I mean, it, but there is real. I mean, there, yeah. some security is real. I mean, I
1: have a lock on my front door and it works. Right. I mean, it's not just there for show. I right. mean, yes, someone could smash a window. So I'm living in a society where, where the rule of law keeps most people honest. But, you know, security does have reality. There, there are feelings, there is security theater, but some of it's real. You know, the TSA does some good stuff. Some stuff is theater. Some stuff is real. And there's always both. It's never just one. And security kind of keeps the world functioning.
0: Sure. No, I mean, look, you need it. You, you absolutely have to rely that, that, that a certain level of security works. Uh, you and I driving on opposite lanes on the street, I'm counting on you staying in your lane. You're counting on me staying in my right. and, and that works. Every now and then, we see people that forget about that rule. They they (laughs) forget about it, or are drunk, or something. Yeah. So so awful things. But ultimately, I think that my two takeaways has been we as a society we have our own personal responsibility. We got to take our own security a little bit more uh, seriously. And then second, you know, the minute you think, "Hey, I'm safe, I'm not hackable," that's when you get hacked. Yeah, you know, some of that. Yeah, I mean because. There isn't one large corporation that I'm aware of that hasn't been hacked. Uh, you know, you, banks, who you think have these great securities, they have a whole department, they have uh, cyber security experts, they do the the whole red teaming thing, hacked.
1: Right. But, you know, it's mostly okay for us. Yes. I mean, yeah, the banks get hacked, but our money is largely safe. We, what, what, are we, what are we worried about? Not worried about hacking, worried about bank runs, We're worried about... You know, what happens when Silicon Valley Bank goes belly up. That's our risk. Our risk is not the hackers. Our risk is
0: like the greedy, unregulated bankers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bruce, thank you so much for stopping by. I love the book. Um, And real quick, we'll shout it out one more time. It is uh, A Hacker's Mind, How the Rich and Powerful bend Society's Rules and How to Bend Them Back. It's a great book. I want everybody to check it out. It's available on Amazon or wherever you get your your favorite books. And uh, Bruce, thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've
1: gotten lucky?"
0: Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office.